Welcome back to In Search of Tarot, a podcast that examines, questions, and reimagines our approach to life and the cards. Through guest interviews and in-depth discussions, we'll explore and expand the beautiful complexities of spirituality, philosophy, magic, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Angie. And we're your hosts for this fascinating ride. Thanks for being here with us. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to In Search of Tarot. I am here today with Angie Miller, our brand new co-host, starting here on season four. Angie, welcome. Hey, Nick, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm like, I was just saying before we hit record how excited I am about this and just to bring a fresh perspective onto the show. And, you know, I, I, I've told you before, I think my Libra um, really needs someone else to talk to. I just don't do well monologuing. And so I'm, I'm just like, so happy to have you here. Oh, me too. It's, we always have really good conversations and it's so much easier when you kind of have an idea and are able to bounce it off of somebody else. So yes. Yes. And in this age of Aquarius, like our friendship started on Instagram, on the internet and, um, has just blossomed from there. And yeah, I'm just, I'm super excited. So for everybody listening, the plan moving forward is that, um, we're going to do these special mini sods every other week. So basically the way that at least this season is going to run, um, there will be an, an 45 minute to an hour long interview episode that will come out one, one week. And then the next week there'll be a, a mini sode with Angie and it'll just keep rolling like that until we, decide we want to do something different. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So today I'm super excited. We're going to kind of dive a little bit into tarot versus Oracle and like the, the feelings around that. And um, we picked this topic because the end of last season ended with a episode with just me talking about, um, you know, the way that I've examined tarot over the last year or two, and the way that a lot of times people will say to me when I um, kind of deconstruct or take issue with certain elements of the way tarot has tended to be talked about, people will say, well, why don't you just leave tarot? You know, why don't you go to Oracle? And when I said that on the episode, you you told me that you had some feels around that. So do you want to like talk about that a little bit? Yes, I do. Okay. So when I was listening to that episode and I just kind of wanted to reacquaint with reacquaint myself with some of the things that you were talking about and kind of get an energy, um, like a little temp check, if you will. And so when I was listening to that, we had just, you and I had a conversation about various methods of divination and how really anything can be a method of divination, right? It's just very, very kind of folk magic. So when I listened to that podcast and I was hearing those people kind of say, well, you should just leave um, and do Oracle instead. I felt this like knee-jerk reaction in my body. um, And I had to investigate that because I was like, well, if this one makes sense over here, if I can divine from coffee grounds or whatever it is, then why is that a legitimate form of divination and not the Oracle? And I had to sit with the dissonance that was sitting in my body and you know, it was really interesting because I felt that kind of like rejection almost, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and so I was sitting with that and I was like, why does that feel like a less legitimate form of divination? It's just as legitimate. In fact, I use it all the time in my own readings as a supplement to some of the messages that pop up when I'm using the tarot cards. Um, But I rarely do Oracle readings just by themselves. Yeah. Um, So it's interesting because 
when we talk about like the tarot and so I was sitting with okay so what is tarot and why is that feeling so different and we talked about how tarot is kind of this system right we come back to that system oracle is a lot looser of a divination form where it's very interpretive by the artist's depiction of the images and the kind of meaning that they're extracting from that right mm-hmm. um anyway it was just really interesting to notice that within myself. And I was like, you know, this this kind of thought process really reminds me of when I was in my organized religion, um, when I was trying so hard to find space for myself inside of that religion and, and interpret the rules in a way that allowed me to stay and uh, kind of create that, that spot inside of the framework. Um, and so many people would say, well, if you can't take the system the way it is, then you should just leave altogether. And the mm-hmm. subtext underneath that was you're not strong enough to be here. It's your fault. And so therefore you should go to this kind of other place, this other um, maybe easier, but easier kind of laced with that like uh, <laughs> negative form, you know, the same exact thing with Oracle and tarot versus, you know, staying in the church versus leaving the church. Yeah. Well, it's interesting what you're saying, because it's making me think about the access issue there, you know, that like, Mm. like people that, um, you know, maybe haven't studied quote unquote, the tarot. And we can also dive into that, like, cause I kind of wonder what does it even mean to study the tarot, but you know, someone that maybe can't afford to take a course or like afford, you know, a bunch of tarot books or whatever, um, mm-hmm. you're sort of saying like, if you can't become like learned, I mean, it makes me think of even higher education, you know, and that access issue and like just yes. education in general, you know, like what is, I mean, what does it mean to say to someone like you have to study this tradition or else you're, you can't work with this deck. I mean, I, I, cause it's another separate issue that you're wanting to address of like, why do we feel like Oracle's less than, which I think is a great, um, a great, you know, question as well, but like, what does it mean to bar someone from using the tarot because they can't like study the system for whatever, for many reasons? Yeah. I even thought about this when we kind of like think about people who are opening their books to look at meanings or say that there's like a card specific to that particular deck, right? Like I'm Mm -hmm. thinking about um, various decks, like the fountain has a a card that's specific to that deck Um, or like the the Usui deck has those like card phase Mm -hmm. cards those are exclusive to the deck and they're kind of up for interpretation unless you get the extra book that comes with it Mm. but then we look down on the people who are using their book to read to their clients and um coming back to kind of like the thought of accessibility like so many people will actually rely on that because they're their anxiety makes it so that they get tongue-tied or they um, Mm -hmm. stumble over their words and so forth, but we look down on them for that. And that's a whole issue too, if we really want to get into that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe this is a good place too, for me to kind of define like at least, or for us both to define what we mean when we talk about like the system of tarot, mm -hmm. you know, Um, because there's a couple of different ways, I guess, to look at it. You know, there's the actual structure of the deck, meaning that there are you know, there are the majors and minors, there are the four suits generally, there are the court cards and, and the actual kind of way that it's like laid out. There's the numbers, the numerology, um, or just the numbers themselves, not the numerology. And th- But then also there's the system or the method, I guess, is maybe the better way to, to word it, the method that you use to interpret those cards. Um, now, what I personally mean 
when I talk about like the Smith Rider weight system is the combination of those things. Like, I mean, I mean the, the deck, I mean the, the layout of the deck and the art that's tied into it. And then I also mm-hmm. mean, along with the art, the symbology of it, the, and the interpretations of that symbology and the correspondence system that like the golden dawn created for that for and in conjunction with, you know, when Rider Waite like made that deck, it was it was a com- combination of the Golden Dawn like correspondence and the art that that he was, you know, guiding mm-hmm. with Pamela Coleman Smith. That that combination is is really what I mean. And so, if that's what I mean when I say system, then there is like the Smith Rider Waite system. There's also like the Thoth system. There's all although, you know, the Thoth system is a little tied in with Smith Rider Waite in my opinion because they both mm-hmm. you know came from Golden Dawn. But and then there's also Terra de Marseille. Um, you know, so those are, those are systems that include like decks that kind of go with them, but then there are also other systems of reading. There's like the open reading system, you know, different, different ways of interpreting. So I've talked a lot about systems on my public Instagram. And I I think, think I just wanted to take a moment to kind of explain, you know, what I mean when I say that. Um, and yeah, I mean, so, I mean, like what, you know, why, I don't know. It's interesting to think like, why do we give so much weight to, you know, tarot having this system versus Oracle not having a system or structure and Mm -hmm. like, and why do we feel like one is better than the other? Yeah. Why do we hold one up as like more legitimate in, in my mind? I was like, well, I guess if there's this structure and I'll speak specifically to Rider Waite Smith, because that was the system that I stayed with for many, many years. Um, And like you've always said is, you know, all of these decks that kind of are more indie decks always seem to point back to uh, Rider Waite Smith or any one of those other, the Thoth or the Terra de Marseille. Um, But so we have this structure, right? And we have these kind of fixed meanings that are assigned to them, fixed archetypes, fixed fixed vibrations that go with like the numbers and so forth. And then Oracle is much more intuitive and interpretive and much wider set of like... um, things that can go along with that. And it made me think of like the, the binary that we run into again, masculine and feminine, right? One seems very fixed and authoritative. One fix or one feels um, much softer of, I guess, a way of interpreting. And so again, coming back to like what my experience was in my religion, it, it just felt like one, if you couldn't stay, if you couldn't hang, then it clearly wasn't for you. And it was your fault because you couldn't hang. Um, and so it, it made me think like, because of the structure that exists in tarot or, you know, the lack of structure, um, that exists in Oracle, do we hold up tarot because it feels more authoritative and Oracle maybe kind of conflating it with maybe even unconsciously with it being more feminine. Maybe that's why, mm. like, we don't take it as seriously. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think I'd mentioned this to you when you first reached out with this question. Um, it does make me think a lot about um, a book that I think I referenced last week, um, God is Red, that I read recently that was mm-hmm. uh, talking about native religions um, juxtaposed with Christianity and the way that a big part of Christianity has been the legitimacy that it gives itself by placing itself in time and sort of saying like the history of Christianity and the way that Mm -hmm. Christianity has been tied to history. And, and therefore there's this sense that like Christianity is for anyone and everyone 
ev- everywhere you are, any place you are, any time that you are, you know, this, this is the, the law or the way that it should be for you. Whereas native religions are much more place-based and a lot of native religions I learned, you know, through this book uh, actually don't keep at least um, very exhaustive records historically. They tend to be a bit more you know, this is what's happening right now. And, and right Mm -hmm. now, you know, right now this volcano is erupting and that, that sort of gives it a spiritual component and, you know, and this place becomes spiritual for this, this for right now, you know, and maybe in Mm -hmm. 20 years that will be different, you know, but for right now, this is a spiritual kind of hub. And that kind of feels tied to this in a way, because I feel like a lot of the legitimacy that we're giving to tarot is the history, you know, is the like Mm. the lineage and the history and saying, well, look how old it is. And that makes it, you know, more meaningful. Whereas Oracle decks come from any artist at any point. Um, But I think that's interesting because in a way, I think that that means that an Oracle deck has the potential to maybe be even more relevant, you know, Mm, or or more like more responsive, you know, to like what's actually happening. Whereas a tarot deck that is um, somehow tying itself to a lineage, you know, historical lineage might feel indebted to include at least some components of something that comes from very long ago. And that maybe is no Mm -hmm. longer relevant anymore. You know, I mean, it it really makes me think of the way so many people struggle with the court cards. And Mm -hmm. I feel like it's like so many people say, you know, we don't have, you know, royalty anymore. We don't have monarchy. I don't understand these cards. And sometimes it's like, I think we all just are like, can we just get rid of these? Cause I just don't get them, (laughs) you know? And it's like, but, but we feel like we can't because it's like, no, but it's the structure. It's the system, you know, like, well, yeah. Like, what do you think about all that? And kind of like the the biases that you attach, right? Like the page is definitely hierarchically underneath the king. And but I mean, when you're talking about like the meanings and what's present for you right now, then isn't that just as important? You know, mm-hmm. um, like why do we take that off the the pedestal of the emperor, for example? Like it doesn't make it less relevant to you. Um, and if it's speaking to you, then what does it matter? So I'm I totally see why people are struggling with the court cards. Um, and yeah, you're right. Like the, I think that the thing that I come back to is what you said in that previous episode about, you know, the, the writer Smith way, um, deck like that, that whole system is so recent, you know, and mm-hmm. it's from a time that was long ago, we're in 2022. So why can't we, I mean, if, and if you don't want to take, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater, then I understand that too, but take the pieces that did work, take the pieces that did speak to you and create something new, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, which a lot of people, you know, there are a lot of decks that, that kind of point to Smith right away, but do make a lot of um, changes. And that's why, you know, that's something I, I want to say on here too. You know, that is what I'm trying to point to when I talk about like not using the Smith right away deck, I'm not talking about not using any decks that are, you know, of that like lineage or that are part of that system. I'm literally talking about, let's please stop giving our money to like a company that owns, <laughs> you know, the Smith Rider Waite deck. And let's please, you know, redistribute those funds to indie artists who are alive right now. Again, like, mm-hmm. our, you know, and I really do take some issue with so many teachers that will tell their students or say on public platforms, I recommend that you start with the Smith Rider Waite deck and then here are some others. I just wish mm-hmm. that we could reverse that. I wish we could say, 
here are some amazing decks that I really recommend. And also we're going to be referencing the Smith Rider Waite deck a lot. So if you want to buy that one too, or maybe, mm-hmm. maybe like here's some handouts I can give you with pictures of the Smith Rider Waite deck, just so you can reference it. Because like, I mean, besides the fact that like you're not giving your money to people that are actually living and, and working, the Smith Rider Waite deck, the original is incredibly non-inclusive. And like, mm-hmm. you know, I just, there's so many reasons that we should really be letting that go. And I, I still see that all the time. And that really does kind of bother me. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so interesting because like, I, I can't help, but like come back to what my experiences with, were coming out of the church and like, what is this toxic patriarchal chokehold that it has on me? Why do I feel like I need to defend this mm-hmm. um, so hard, which, you know, that's kind of its own discussion, like the ways that we internalize our own oppression. Um, but yeah, to your point, like this is a very slim, narrow uh, population <laughs> that that is represented in these cards. And so even if it is pointing back to and referencing the writer Smith Waite deck, there are so many artists and maybe they're speaking to, you know, whatever their lens is, maybe they're an indigenous artist and they can create a, a whole new world um, inside of the cards that speaks to a wider variety of people. Yeah. One thing that did just pop into my mind with this question is that perhaps part of this is also the community aspect of tarot, you know, like it's not like there are people that post about Oracle cards, but it's, it's kind of like a fandom almost with tarot, you know, there's like, (laughs) you, and, and I, you know, it's, I was thinking about this earlier, like you, part of the joy is that you can get online and discuss these cards that kind of everybody understands, you know, and Mm, like, whereas with, with Oracle, it's not quite like that. It's not like there are fandoms for like, different Oracle decks, you know, um, and maybe that's part of it. I mean, that's actually no small, no small piece of it probably. Oh yeah. I can totally see where you're coming from with that. Right. With any like fandom, you're like, well, you just don't have the context. You don't get it. Yeah. You could never, unless you know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, I hadn't really thought of it quite that way before. So that's, I mean, that's real, you know, but, um, yeah, I guess the last thing I wanted to say about all this was, um, as a queer person, you know, this, this desire to like, kind of find yourself within an existing system just gets really tiring and and has really been tiring me a lot lately. I I just, I find myself really, um, wanting to like find a queer, like mythopoetics that is not related to being straight, you know, and that Mm -hmm. is not like in response to being straight. And, sometimes the tarot, the system of tarot can feel that way. Like for instance, I mean, I love, you know, Cassandra Snow's work, like queering the tarot. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we use the word, when we say that we're queering something, we, we kind of mean that we're, you know, morphing it or changing it or deconstructing it or, you or know, that it's the other. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm like, I wish there was something that was just was mine, you know, that just what, that just stood on its own as, as queer. And, um, I had told you that, um, I recently dedicated myself to Lake Michigan and have been, uh, like communing with Lake Michigan on my drives into work. It's a little too cold to to go sit at Lake Michigan right now, but I definitely Mm -hmm. plan to, um, but it, it taught me the other day that, you know, I was, I asked the question, how do we find a, a queer myth, you know, or queer mythopoetics? And it said, your myth is not in this lake. Your myth is this lake. And that just like really 
blew my mind because it was like, wow, what if, what if the, what if what it means to be on the margins is not to be pushed aside, but to actually hold everything else. Like, you know, to, to be a marginalized queer person actually means that the margin is what kind of supports everything else, you know, like that, that's the the starting place. And I, and that just feels really healing to me, like in a really major way, um, because uh, like so much queer myth does kind of, you know, originate in a straight story. And then like, you'll find a queer offshoot or someone will like have a dalliance, you know, but it, Mm -hmm. it feels, it very much feels like the straight line is the way that things naturally are. And queerness varies from that. Not that like queerness is the natural thing and other things vary from that. And I just, that just felt like amazing and, and incredibly healing. So you know, I got chills from that the first time you said it. And just now, again, I got chills all over my body. Yeah. I mean, and it kind of like, if you looked at actual nature, it, it, you know, for me, it feels like, you know, the big bang or like the chaos before the, before things start to distill or whatever, like that is, Mm. that is what being queer is, is, you know, the, the amoeba or the, you know, embryo or the, you know, chrysalis, like the moments, you know, before. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't know quite how to like fully tie that back in, you know, with our conversation, but like, it is, it's morphing, it's evolving. And I think that's what Oracle has given us that it's so hard to try to carve inside of the the realm of the tarot, right? Mm -hmm. It is evolving as we evolve. And that's been the struggle so far has been being able to let it evolve. Yeah. I mean, this is really inspiring me to work with Oracle cards more and to like, you know, try to, um, try to create a space for that and, and to talk about, um, how, how Oracle does create a lot of space, you know, for, for Mm -hmm. creating your own myths. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's making me want to explore that and it's making me want to, um, provide like, I, cause I think the community piece is really important because if you're a marginalized person, that's something that you're definitely looking for is community, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so, so I do think that's important to like, um, honor the community aspect of tarot. And it makes me want to kind of explore, like, how can I create community with Oracle, you know, and maybe it's not a specific, mm. not, not a specific Oracle deck, but just like the practice of working with Oracle cards and like the freedom that comes from that. Like, how can I, um, you know, build more community sense around that, you know? Oh, I love that question. Yeah. Even in, I mean, as an individual, I definitely could work with Oracle more or like even just flip the script. Cause I usually use it as a supplement, but what if I were to use the Oracle as the main uh, vehicle for the message and then the tarot as the supplement? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, this was amazing. Um, and I'm sure people have a lot of interesting thoughts. Um, but Angie, thank you so much for talking with me today. And we're just, we're going to keep exploring, you know, different, different topics every couple of weeks and maybe eventually have some Q and a episodes. I mean, I can't wait for people to really get to know you. This is like barely touch the surface of who you are and you, you have so much interesting knowledge and amazing magic. So I I can't wait for Mm -hmm. you to share it with everybody. I'm excited. We're already going deep. So we'll see where it goes from here. (laughs) Thank you for listening to In Search of Tarot. You can follow Angie on Instagram at birdgirl underscore. That's B-I-R-D-G-E-R-H-L underscore. And you can follow me, Nick, at In Search of Tarot. This podcast is independently recorded, edited, and produced by us, which means that we rely solely on the generous support of our Patreon backers to make this podcast happen. 
If you'd like to lend us your support, you can do so for as little as $2 a month over on patreon.com slash in search of tarot.